you looking at the kids who ain't been in trouble. So for us, this it's like a nightmare. You in a you in an uncomfortable environment without anybody that you know, and you don't have your parents because you know that's the first thing kids ask for is their parents. So with me, it was my father. Like where my father? Because you got me in a room by myself, and I need I need I need somebody in my family because I don't know what's going on and I'm confused because I told you the truth, but you keep trying to get me to say something that's not the truth. You're listening to Thinking Freely with the ACLU of Maryland, the show that talks about what's happening politically in Maryland from the courts to the streets and everywhere in between. I'm your host, Nehemiah Bester. Every day in Maryland, children entangled in the legal justice system were questioned without a parent, guardian, or attorney present. Because of this, they have faced criminal charges, prosecution, and incarceration without the basic due process rights that adults are entitled to. This is made worse for Black, Indigenous, and children of color who are over-policed, assumed to be less innocent, and made to seem less deserving of proper treatment under the law as children. Take the case of the exonerated Harlem Park Three, when in 1983, teenagers Alfred Chestnut, Andrew Stewart, and Ransom Watkins were wrongly arrested and interrogated by police without their parents, legal guardian, or attorney present. As a result, they were sentenced to life in prison for a murder they did not commit. The three spent 36 years each behind bars before being exonerated in 2019, their lives effectively stolen, even though they had done nothing wrong. Their story and too many other examples are why in 2022, the ACLU of Maryland and our partners successfully passed the Child Interrogation Protection Act. This law now requires an attorney be consulted before a child is interrogated by law enforcement. The law also requires that parents or guardians are notified when a child is taken into custody. To me, it seems pretty simple. Defending the rights of children should not be optional. And Ransom Watkins sat down with me to talk about it. Before we get into the conversation, Ransom sent me some personal notes ahead of the interview that I'm going to share now with his permission. It goes like this. My name is Ransom Watkins. My childhood was taken from me when I was 16 years old. I grew up in West Baltimore. I came from a poor family, but with a million dollars worth of love. My mother passed away when I was 15 years old. She told me not to become what people want me to. I raised you as a loving son. Don't change for anybody. I did all I could to make my mother proud. I was a good kid. One night in 1983, I woke up with guns in my face. The police snatched me out of bed and arrested me for murder. At the age of 16 years old, I had to become a man. I lived my life through ups and downs, disappointments, and some really scary moments. I wondered if I would ever get out of prison. After 36 years of false incarceration, I came home to a whole new world. Since that time, I have worked different jobs, got married, got my driver's license, and bought my first car. Even though I live my life as a man, the child still struggles. Faith kept me strong. So I want to thank you, sir, for taking the time out to talk with me today. It's truly a privilege to speak with you. I've been wanting to speak with you um, for a long time, actually. I know your story. And so I just, you know, really appreciate you being here and taking the time out. Can you tell me about the situation that happened when you were a teenager um, at Holland Park Junior High? Oh, yeah, in uh, 1983, 
16 years old, you know, live, this kid who just loved life. Me and my my two best friends, Andrew Stewart and Chestnut. That morning we had uh, went to Holland Park Junior High to receive his jacket from his brother who wore it to school. But in the process of going to the school building, which we went to that school for three years. So personally, everybody knew us. But even though all of us was in high school, I live right across the street from the school, so everybody knew who we are. So we went back that morning in 1983 to retrieve his jacket from his brother. But in the process of doing all that, being in the school, the security guard had saw us, which he knew us personally. You know what I'm saying? Like he knew us personally. Yeah. And we was walking around looking for the class. But at the same time, we kids, so we were just acting like, you know, like a clams. We just right. having fun. Everybody knows, so we joking with the, some of the people in the classes. But when the security guard saw us, he was like, man, you know, y'all can't be in here, so I'm going to have to ask y'all to leave. You know, I'm going to escort y'all out the building. But we like, all right, Mr. Kelly, ain't no problem. We, we cool with that because he knows us. And at that time, you know, we walking and we talking to him, and he escorted us off the premise. In the process, going through our whole day, we learned later on when we got back home that somebody had got killed in the school. Man, we was just as shocked as anybody else because nothing like it never really happened around our way in, in schools. Right. So when we heard it, we were just shocked. We didn't know who it had happened to, which for us, it didn't matter because we knew it was somebody young, you know, so everybody was like, damn, man, that's messed up. But then we learned out that it was a friend of ours hmm. named DeWitt Ducky, who also was a friend of the neighborhoods. You know, like everybody living in the neighborhood, we all just friends. He was yeah, younger than us. Yeah. But we speak, we know each other. And we found out that it was him, which which basically just blew our mind. And uh, through the course of that day, that's all everybody talked about, about somebody getting killed in the school. And then probably like three days or something later, police coming. We're standing outside by where we live at. Police just come and get us. You know, ask, could they ask us some questions? Without our parents, though. So, they knew they pulled ahead our parents, but us looking up to polices, like that's how I was raised. So to me, I'm looking at they gonna do the right thing. They asking can they question? Oh yeah, sure, I go with you. I don't know really know that I pulled ahead my parents, but they know that. But with the way they got us is that they rode us around in the neighborhood, was basically letting other people see our face. Because this was a, as I got older. I come to find out this is what they used to do in the neighborhoods. They would put you in the back of the car, ride you around, let people see you, right? And it's like a tactic that they use against kids, you know. But with us, we're not thinking like that because we kids, like, they police, man. They're going to they gonna do the right thing. They just ask us questions. So we ain't, we ain't lie to them. Like, was y'all up the school building? Uh, yeah, we was up there early, like, man, about 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock. They said the murder happened around one, right? We wasn't even in the building. But we never lied to them about being in the building. You know, if you're trying to hire something, you're not going to tell the people whether somebody said you was in there or not. You're not going to agree to that. Right. So we were just like, yes, sir. You know, it was five of us. And that's what we, we told them the truth. It was, it was five of us in the building. It wasn't no three people. It was five of us together. So how y'all come out to three people? Y'all lying because we telling y'all that it was five of us and the other two guys that y'all didn't lock up is agreeing that they was in the building with us. So it doesn't make sense for an individual to put themselves on homicide. Y'all say happened there. 
and they know that they was with us, that only makes sense. So they never question other two guys that was with us, but the whole time they telling the police, man, we know they didn't do it because they was with us. If they did it, we did it. So why are we not in trouble? Mm. But unfortunately, man, I couldn't realize in this country, race played a lot of, played a uh, big part of my case. You know, that was the, uh, once the news media got a hold of our case, man, they had a witness from day one, told the police who had done the murder, but he never investigated. He said it was his privilege not to do so because he chose not to. But that's evidence that could have could have cut us free from right there. We didn't even, we wouldn't even have to go to court. Yeah. But they chose not to do that, right? And, you know, it was, it, 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 it's tough, man, when you're 16. No, of, of course. That, and that, first, I'm sorry, all that happened to you, Alfred and Andrew. And for one, you know, that sounds like very lazy policing, you know, not willing to go and investigate it. Can you tell me, how did you feel during that interrogation? Because you you didn't have your parents with you, you know, in, in other cases, like folks, you know, if they don't have a parent or a legal representation, they kind of are coerced into saying things. Yeah. You know, so how, how did you how did you feel during during that interrogation? Well, first of all, you're looking at the kids who ain't been in trouble. So for us, this is like a nightmare. You're in, a, you're in an uncomfortable environment without anybody that you know and you don't have your parents. Because, you know, that's the first thing kids ask for is their parents. Right. So with me, it was my father. Like, where my father at? Because you got me in a room by myself. And I need, I, I need, I need somebody in my family because I don't know what's going on. And I'm confused because I told you the truth. But you keep trying to get me to say something that's not the truth. But I was built on that. Like, my family. Look, if it's something you didn't do, I don't care what they tried to, don't you ever admit to something you didn't do. But if you did it, then you you stand up for it. So that's where I was at in that room with that police. No matter how much he tried to intimidate me, I wasn't going to sit up here and tell you I killed somebody. No, I didn't kill nobody. Regardless of what you say, how much pressure you put on me, it's not going to happen, right? Because that's how I was raised. Mm -hmm. But it, it was so intimidating to be in that room with him. Because everything he'd done in that room, he made it like 10 times aggressive, like in your face. Like you, you, you know you did it. So I ain't do nothing. I'm telling you that I didn't do anything. Then then they played a tactic game. Well, I just talked to Mr. Chestnut and Mr. Stewart, and they told me that you did it. So I don't need no more testimony from you now. But I'm gonna give you the opportunity to clear yourself. So did they do it or did you do it? Trying to get you all to lie on each other. Right. And I'm telling them, like, man, listen, I didn't do it. And they didn't do it. So if you sitting there telling me that they told you that they did it, they lying. I'm not, but, but I don't know what y'all said to them in that room, but they lying. They they did not do it, but I was with them. I know they didn't. So that was a that was a that was a big thing in our case, right? And uh, like none of us never once. We always told the truth and we never deviated from the truth for 36 years. You know what I'm saying? Like this, when you lie, one thing you learn about a lie, you have to keep trying to remember what you said. Our case went along as no matter what you asked us from 83 for 36 years later, we're going to tell it to you like it was 83 because it was the truth. It was consistent. Yeah, we were consistent with everything that we were saying. 
And if you looked at the transcripts, or and see how this 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 is the thing about the law when you have black judges who trying to move up the ladder, such as my judge, because you sealed evidence that could have that could have stopped the trial. You sealed it. You are the judge of the court. You sworn to uphold the law yourself. But yet that evidence that should have went to my lawyer that could have stopped this trial, you sealed it and nobody, and my lawyer's in the main, he never said it. So where's the fair justice at for kids in this country if you have the judges and the prosecutors working together? I, I don't, I don't, I don't know how you get justice out of that. You know, so maybe some things need to be changed with the relationships with the judges and the prosecutors. At the time, you know, this is 83 and 84. How do you think those relationships in the judicial system impacted your case specifically? They could work for evidence and which they did in our case in 83. Because well, so because it seems to me like this was a huge rush to judgment, right? right. I remember reading that. I think I think that they it took them three hours of deliberation before you all were convicted, right? So like, how did that? What was the impact of all of that? Like, I think I think I, th I think when you have, like, I tell I, I tell people this, in a case like ours, when you have publicized cases, people are most people already made their judgment. Hmm. People don't realize that because it was so it was on news seven days a week, right? And if you constantly hearing about a young person getting killed and you seeing it on news, and then you picked as a jury, you already have a you already you already have a formal opinion about them kids, right? Nobody took into consideration that we was kids who ain't never been in trouble, locked up anything. Nobody took that into consideration that yeah. We come from poor background, but we had parents who loved us, which people overlook. We weren't, we weren't, we weren't bad kids. We weren't perfect kids, but we weren't bad kids, neither. Right? And I think with the system, man, it's going to be harder because, like, like I'm, I'm going to give you a prime example, like in, in, in our case. Nobody get punished for what happened to us for 36 years, right? They pay you. But how is that punishment? Mm. So let me say this. If the police in the street know that he can fabricate evidence, right, and nothing happen, he don't lose his job, he don't lose his pension, he don't do anything, what deter the officer behind him from stop doing the same thing? Nothing, right? But if you start taking their pensions and letting them know that if you do this, you're going to be held accountable for this. We will, we will punish you. If it's not with jail time, we will take your pension. And I think that needs to be done because nobody has been held accountable. Like in our case, yeah, you you paid us off, but who who actually paid for it? Our family, the Whit Duckett family, and us. Everybody else walk free. Everybody else get to still, like this police, he still get to see his kid graduate. He still get to see his grandkids and everybody. So he living a normal life. He ain't going through nothing. What do he care? So what the state paid him? He ain't come out here. So he's saying, man, I'm good. I ain't got paying. Right. But that's on the backs of taxpayers. That's who paying the price. But no one's saying to care about that. Because every time officers do that, the taxpayers have to front that money somehow. 
And that ain't fair to the people. Yeah, and I think like, you know, that's that, that's one of the issues that we're facing right now. Like, what's the difference between justice and accountability? True justice is like you three would never have had to go through this at all. And then the other part of that, officers not fully being held to account for what they did and how that impacts you and your friends and your families. Because you can't, there's no way to give back 36 years. Like, you can't. That's that's right. possible. Right. And, and they got to realize that, man, our families have suffered so much, right, along with us. Like you, like for us, we never stop suffering. The the, the 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 abuse that they done us as a child is with you for the rest of your life. Like I have seen so much as a child going into a adult system that people couldn't even imagine. Like that 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 that's that's hard. Like that stuff is always here when you hear the streams. You remember all that. Your socializing with people is not as normal as being in a person in society. Right. You know, your, your paranoia is is outrageous because the environment that you've been in, that's all you knew. Right. How do you get your mental health back? Right. And the first thing people have, well, you got your freedom. Do I? So you think as you see me out here, I'm smiling and I'm, I'm talking, and I'm, but you don't know what's going on here. And that's what people be missing, that like you really suffer bad, like you suffer. Right. And no one under, no one gets it. And then you feel like no one gets it. Like they really don't get it. No. And they don't, I think a lot of folks want to say you have to reacclimate yourself back into society after you've been on the inside for so long for a crime you didn't, you never did in the first place. It's not, it's not as easy as people make it seem. See, what happened to you didn't happen over a year or two years. It happened for 36 years. So you may not never reach that point where you, everything that's going on with you that you can fix. Because this didn't happen overnight, so it's not going to end overnight. You know what I'm saying? Like, this this, is going to be with you for your entire life. So it's a part of you. And you go through it because sometimes you just don't want to, you just want to be alone. When you can't connect with your own family, like, that's, 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 man, people don't get it. Ransom, can you, can you talk a bit about how all of that has sort of like impacted your life today? Can you like can you elaborate on like your routines, your lifestyle? How is what you've gone through for those 36 years? How has that impacted? I mean, on paper, you're free, but right. how was that impact really your life today? Can you talk about that? Yeah, you're really not because you I, I take fit like I'm not a emotional. Type of thing, you know, and then I'm married, but I'm I'm not that emotional person. I'm more of a paranoid person than anything, right? When you can't even go out to have a simple meal without doing, without being paranoid, this all the stuff that affects your life. Even when you you're driving. Certain jobs you don't want because you don't feel comfortable in the environment. It it it, it, it even go that far, cause man, no, I can't take that job because I can't. I you know I certain things I I gotta keep moving. Like if I wanted an office job, I can't do an office job. I gotta keep my body moving at all times. So that affects 
you wanting to do some of the things that you want to do. I don't like to travel because I don't like to be in crowds. So that affects part of my marriage because my wife, she want to travel. You know, and little things that we want to do. I'm just not big on going nowhere. I'm more safer here than I am out there because then my mind concept in prison, I knew where I was at. I knew everybody. And I was, and I had a type of rapport with people where I didn't have to worry about violence. Right? So all that for me was comfort. Then you took me from all that set and then you let me loose out here where I know nothing. Regular function technology that people take for granted, that kids know that we don't know, you know? These are the things that stop your life from going forward. So in a sense, we stuck out here too. You know, people be like, well, all you gotta do is just, oh, just try to make, it's hard when you can. People understand it's hard to focus when your mind is going through so much. Right. That you have been through so much that you can't even go to a restaurant and just have a normal dinner. I'll always over your shoulder. Yeah, because everybody coming that door, I need to see. And I need to set where I can watch everybody. So our life, our life is different out here. You know, and it's hard sometimes to ask for help. Yeah, because you're like, man, I would have known all this stuff if I was here. Then you feel some kind of feel some kind of way because it's like, they done this to me. I didn't do this to them. Mm-hmm. And no apology, no nothing. You good, man. No therapy. I got to get my own therapy. You know what I'm saying? I had to get my own therapy. Whatever it is that I had to get, I had to get with people to help me to maneuver around that. I had to get my driver's license. I had to get my social security number. But had I not had help, I wouldn't have done none of that. I'm going to be honest with you. I wouldn't because my priority wouldn't allow me to go forward to take them steps. So without having people pushing me to do that, it was like I still being a sailor. Yeah, it's, 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 it's harsh, man. It's harsh that they get away with it. It's harsh that they do it, you know, and then they need to come to the table. I don't never think you can correct the, the system because the system is too corrupt. I don't, I, I don't know how you correct that. I've been, me and my brothers and them, we've been talking about it. How do you correct when you have a judge? who have knowledge of evidence and he don't give it to my lawyer. How did you correct that when they find out years later and they can't do nothing to the judge because he retired? So how do you correct it? I don't know. But I know I'm not the only one. I know we're not the only ones that it happened to. Right. It's very systemic. Yeah. And on the, the systemic part of it, this, like you just said, you're not the only ones to have gone through this. And unfortunately, you all might not be the last to have gone through it. Um, yes. Well, you, you all were kids when this happened. And even today, like, you know, black and brown kids are still being like stopped and, you know, and, and interrogated without their parent or a legal guardian present, e- even though like, you know, the child interrogation that was passed. And so right. I, I want to ask you, why do you feel it's important that children are protected from situations like that. Why do you feel like that act is important? Why do you, and, 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 and why children's rights in general must be you know, protected? Well, well, well I, always, I always go back to myself as a child. See, uh, my rights have been protected back then. I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, we wouldn't be setting in name. Hmm. 
See, that's the that's the that's the default of that. That because of that, that's why we sitting here. No one was protecting us back then. But see, man, you have laws in place for that. That's what people have to look at. In our case, somebody could have stepped up. Say, listen, these are juveniles. We think they should have their parents. But I had a detective named Detective Ken K. And he was what I call cocky. He do things his way. And he made it clear. I don't, I ain't, I don't need their parents. He made that real clear. I'm going to question them with their parents or without their parents. But you need that on the books to protect the child. You really do because somebody going to be held accountable some kind of way, you know. But if you don't have that on the books, no one can be held accountable for. So I think that it's very important that that's that's always on the books. Yeah, that's you know that's that that's number one in order for a child to have some type of parent or guardian. They're with them when they've been questioned by anybody, you know. Yeah, I think that's very important. It would have, it would have, it would have helped us. One percent would have helped us because my parents would have been there, right? And but because they knew that, they they didn't have to call, and they understood that. So with that, they got away with it, right? But had that been on the books, had that been a part of that case. In this case, would have never reached this far. Right. Yeah. So you most definitely need that day. Yeah, but I, I I couldn't find that. I think we need to have some more stiff laws on the books for the for the children. Because man, listen, you gotta protect it. You gotta protect the children. We got to. You know, uh, it's children being abused and it's children being taken advantage of. And I just think having them laws on the books protects. It, it 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 protects the children. Yeah, and it opens a window of further accountability where we can because yeah. you know, then you have more avenues where officers who do commit these interrogations to teenagers and children, okay, we have this law in place, you can be held accountable. You know. Right. Like, yeah. I want to end on like a, a a lighter note, uh, if that's okay. Like, can you yeah. I know I know you've done since you've got out, you've done like tremendous work in your community, you know, yeah. a lot of philanthropic stuff, a lot of extracurricular activities. Can you just talk about how, you know, all the amazing work that you've done in your community, um, some of your favorite hobbies, you know, just how is your community? How, how have you been an asset to your community since since you've been out? Oh, man, I've been man. Listen, man, I've been doing, <laughs> you know, man, you know, that's one thing I'm like, I'm big on. I'm big on uh, giving back. And before I, I got hurt on my job. Doing uh, the job I had, I had told my rotator cuff in five places, and they had to put a plate in my neck. But before that, I was doing volunteer working with on this farm with kids, uh-huh. and we take inner city kids to the farm, and they ride horses because a horse can communicate with a kid the way that we don't even know understand. A horse, horses are smart. I, I, I've been loving horses my whole life, but I had this one little girl who come from the inner city, and she had she she's she been abused a lot. She like my about nine, but she don't talk. She don't listen. This little girl, when she was at the program before I got there, and she never talked to nobody. So that night was my night to get her. And I just walked the horse. I'm holding on to the horse, and she riding the horse. I ain't say nothing. 
Cause right. I'm letting her get the, you know, the, the, the get the feel yeah, of me. The feel it, right, right. Yeah, she she looking at me like, just see her turn her head, look at me again. So I'm <laughs> like, okay, I gotta find a way to communicate with. So I'm do school. I say, what's your best subject in school? So she like math. I'm like, oh, you really smart in math? She said, I think I'm really good. I said, okay, just lower numbers. Well, how much is four plus five? And she would tell me, I said, oh, you really smart. That is so good of you. Oh, I'm, I said, listen, I'm so proud of you. But man, I'm going to tell you how that changed my life. Because during the course of that time I spent with that little girl, this was the amazing thing. This girl don't hug nobody. She don't do none of that. And I had left the program because I got hurt. Mm-hmm. And when I come back, she saw me. Man, that little girl came running to me and hugged me. It's little things like that people don't understand. That means everything. When you want to touch somebody, that people that been around this kid for all of these couldn't touch. And it's like we made a connection. You know, I didn't push it. I just let it happen. But that was the most uh, amazing thing to me. You know, I do a lot. I do a lot of volunteer work. You know, I do a lot of volunteer work, man. That's, I, and, and I take care of a lot of kids. Like, I just give kids stuff. You know, I just buy stuff for kids and just give it to them. Yeah, man. It's, so it's been a, for my community, we got a recreation center. We I donated a snowball machine last summer because, you know, they was like, they nice. needed one. Yeah. So it's just little things that you do that help out your community that people don't think mean a lot. You know, so I really want to buy them this summer. I want to get all them roller skates. And I want to take and donate them to the recreation center that I was raised in, even though the city want to shut them all down. But if they try to shut this one there, I'm going to plan on trying to work hard to keep it open because it really meant a lot to me as a child. So I want to keep that going. Yeah, it'll mean something to somebody else. Yeah, yeah. Nah. Yeah, man, I, I really, like, it's been, it been it's, it's, it's my life goal, man, just to get back. It's my life goal. I don't need much, but. To put smiles on other people's faces and kids' faces, it means the world to me. Yeah, let me say one thing before I go. Uh, yeah, the, the guy, the with, the with Ducky, his mother, right? Because she, 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 she lost a child. And I say this, man, you know, with all society, I keep in my prayers because this woman went 36 years believing that her son murderer was caught. They come to find out 36 years later that they wasn't. We wasn't the ones who did it. But she stated that she don't believe that, right? I don't fault her for that, bro. I understand it's a mother that's mourning for a child, yeah. right? And she hurting. She got to believe something in order to keep going. But I want people to know, man, that listen, I I love the whip mother, always will, man, and going to continue to pray for her. You know, and hoping that one day she can just face the truth for what it is. But if she never face it, man, I still want God to let her go in peace. You know, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm big on that, man. And I, I just, I just want his mother to have some type of comfort because it, 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 it means a lot to me, man. You know, I don't care about her not recognize us as okay. Y'all, y'all don't want to kill us. Hey, if that's what you want to believe in order for your life to function. Then you go ahead, but I want you to know that I'm going to continue to pray for her and keep her in my spurs, man. Yeah. I mean, listen, this is this is obviously our first time meeting, right? And I, I feel like yeah. this brought so much light to my day, you know. Yeah, man. 
it's just awesome to hear that you bring in so much more light to your community. And I just, I mean, I, I feel very honored to speak with you. It's been wonderful listening to and seeing your humanity and just knowing that you've had so much taken from you and yet you still are offering so much to give back. Uh, you know, I think that's just very beautiful to see. So just thank you, Ransom, for talking with me and, and sharing your story today. Oh, no, I appreciate it, man. Anytime you want to talk to me, man, just taking off. Hit me up, man. I'm here, man. Thanks for joining us on this episode of Thinking Freely. If you enjoyed this conversation, please feel free to leave a like, comment, and share to your networks. And if you'd like to learn more about defending children's rights, go to aclu-md.org. And finally, don't forget to subscribe to Thinking Freely wherever you get your podcasts. This show was recorded on Piscataway land. I'm Nehemiah Bester, the host and producer of Thinking Freely. See y'all next time.